As some of you have heard me say over the past few weeks uh, in previous uh, services and sermons, the Bible can be annoyingly repetitive when it comes to some important themes. And now I'm going to be annoyingly repetitive. If you weren't here, I said that if you cut out all the passages from the, from the Bible with an exacto knife that have to deal with money or being generous with money, or all the passages in the Bible that tell us to give thanks each and every day for our blessings, if you cut all those passages out, you'd have a pretty holy Bible. But there is yet another theme that is repeated over and over and over and over again in the Bible. You see, the Old and New Testaments are filled to overflowing with the mandate that the love and care of all children, not just our own, is an ethical, moral, and spiritual requirement for those of us who seek to be obedient to God. Defending the rights of the poor and the needy, especially the rights of children, is a sine qua non of the Christian faith. Simply put, if we do not vigorously defend the needs of children, we are simply at odds with the moral responsibility set before us by Old Testament prophets and by the New Testament prophet named Jesus. For example, one scholar comments in the passage that Jenny is about to read from Isaiah. He writes, In God's indictment of his people through the prophet Isaiah, he calls them to learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. According to this text, the measure of societal good is seen in its care of the most vulnerable. And then he continues, Learning to do good and seeking justice are not empty abstractions. To seek justice is to care for the powerless members of society, especially children. Leaders in particular, and the people in general, are instructed to use the courts and laws of the state for this fundamental purpose, to defend and protect those least able to protect themselves. And so, friends, our faith calls us to jump headlong and even headstrong into the fray of public policy, laws, and the courts, particularly when it has to do with the welfare of children. Listen carefully now, for the Holy Bible is clearly unambiguous on this point. From the words of the psalmist, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, uphold the rights of the afflicted and oppressed. From the prophet Isaiah, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And from the letter of James, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, 
Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And our theme verse from Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. May God bless our understanding of this reading. As I took a walk the other day thinking about this sermon, I began to think about one particular song from the movie, The Sound of Music. But then as my mind wandered, I thought, hmm, I bet the sound of music is near the top of the list of most successful films of all time. What do you all think? Yeah? Well, when I returned from my walk, what I do, I googled, most successful films adjusted for inflation. <laughs> and there it was, number three, The Sound of Music. What were the top two films? I haven't heard it yet. You heard it at the first service. Susie Beninzi got it. Number two was uh, Star Wars. Maybe one of you said that. First was Old Timers, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Well, maybe I'm avoiding the topic for this morning. So what was the song that I was thinking about from The Sound of Music? And what does it have to do with our world's most vulnerable population? The song was my favorite things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings, these are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels doorbells and sleigh bells, and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese at five with moon on their wings, these are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. Earlier this fall, the award-winning New York Times journalist Nicholas Kristof wrote a column titled, Our Children Deserve Better. And in it, he tells how when a two-year-old Guatemalan boy had trouble staying silent in an immigration courtroom, the judge pointed his finger and yelled at him, saying, I have a very big dog in my office, and if you don't be quiet, he will come out and bite you. Do you want him to bite you? Asked the judge. Well, the boy, his mom, and their advocate were soon all weeping. The judge later acknowledged that he, quote, did not handle the situation properly. <laughs> when the dog bites, when the bee stings. Simply put, Societies have been mishandling the way they treat children 
for centuries. Societies have been biting and stinging children for centuries. This is nothing new. In the opening decades of the 21st century, Christoph points out that ignoring the welfare of our young is a day-to-day -day problem in our nation, where our children are quickly falling behind the children of other wealthy nations. For example, he points out that UNICEF reports that the United States ranks 37th among countries in the well-being of our children, and Save the Children puts the United States at 36, with European countries dominating the top of the list. Moreover, according to a study in the Health Affairs Journal, American infants are 76% more likely to die in their first year than in other advanced countries. It is estimated, therefore, that each year we could save the lives of more than 20,000 children if we just achieve the same child mortality as the rest of the world. Now, disturbing facts and figures about the welfare and plight of children can become mind and heart numbing, simply leaving us feeling helpless and throwing up our hands in despair. What possible difference can I make, we might ask ourselves. Our theme scripture, once again, puts it this way, that when we are faced with the challenges in our world, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, a spirit of love and self-discipline. And this all reminds me of a story, a Hasidic tale about two pockets. We all usually, if we're wearing pants, have two pockets. It comes from the teaching of Rabbi Shimka, Simka Bunim, a great Polish Hasidic master at the turn of the 19th century. That rabbi is credited with saying, everyone must have two pockets with a note in each pocket so that he or she can reach into one or the other depending on the need. When feeling high and mighty, one should reach <clears throat> into the left pocket and find the words, I am but dust and ashes. But when feeling lowly and depressed, discouraged, one should reach into the right pocket to find these words, the world was created for me. The world was created for me. Now that phrase, the world was created for me, comes from a passage in the Talmud about our uniqueness, about each of our sense of power. And the Talmud states that when Adam was created, created he was created alone to teach us that destroying a single human life is like destroying the entire world. And at the same time, saving a single human life is like saving the entire universe. You see, that wise old rabbi believes that our uniqueness and our power believes that that is why we were created, we were created by God, that we were created for a purpose, 
And that can lead us to this powerful affirmation, I am strong, I am mighty, I am worthy, I can't do everything, but I can do something. One individual who discovered that he could do something, especially for children, was Darshan Shandin of India. What began as a disappointing restaurant experience, don't we all have them, has become a nationwide effort which now feeds thousands of children in that country. 31-year-old Darshan is a young professional and he emailed a restaurant after being deeply disappointed with the service that he got there. And that one email changed the course of his life. When the restaurant management apologized for the poor service and offered to give him free food, Darshan refused the offer and instead offered them, asked them to feed underprivileged children. As Darshan explained, as a young boy walking the city streets where he and his parents lived, he said, this many years later, I still can't put out of my mind the image of a starving girl a half mile from my home. The restaurant went ahead with Darshan's suggestion and he then became inspired. He began to collect surplus food from area restaurants. What started as a small gesture of feeding underprivileged children by Darshan and his friends has turned into a full-blown movement in India with the establishment of feeding stations throughout many of India's largest cities. The number of volunteers has grown from six to 600. He said the response has been overwhelming. Darshan works in sales for a shipping company and he says that he finds the energy to keep on going when he sees the positive impact that he has had on the children and their families. In the midst of the images and the reality of suffering all around him, Darshan realized he could do something. The neglect, the abuse, the indifference to children is unfortunately not new to the 21st century. The marginalization of children has been going on again for centuries. It goes as far back as biblical times. Last week, Betsy preached about the time when the people of Israel were in exile. Well, today's passage that you heard from the prophet Isaiah speaks to why, in some people's minds, the people of Israel were sent into exile, namely as punishment for how society, principalities and powers, kings and judges, and the people in general were treating the poor, the orphan, the widowed, and the stranger. Apparently the rulers and judges of Isaiah's time were just as mean-spirited as that immigration judge. If you don't be quiet, the dog will come out and bite you. 
Down through history, therefore, powerless, voiceless, innocent, marginalized, and defenseless children have always been the most vulnerable to society's vicious bites and stings. And to prove this point, there are some iconic images which are now a part of human history and our history, which we simply cannot remove from our collective memory. Elan was the three-year-old Syrian boy who was drowned in 2015 as his family tried to reach sanctuary in Greece. Amran was five-year-old, five years old when he was wounded in an airstrike in Aleppo. And then just this past spring, Oscar Ramirez and his nearly two-year-old daughter, Valeria, was photographed face down on the bank of the Rio Grande River. Ramirez's wife, Tanya, says she walked from the shore as her husband and daughter were pulled down by a strong river current. The small family was fleeing poverty in El Salvador. And then maybe just this past week, could one of the photographs of fleeing Kurdish women and children be yet another iconic image capturing human suffering. And then, of course, there are the iconic images of our nation's gun violence. Children hand in hand, with the rescuers leading the grammar school children from the horror of what they had just experienced at Sandy Hook. Then five and a half years later, the scene is the same. This time it's high schoolers being led from the massacre at the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. I believe the iconic images of children suffering, children dying, children starving, do not have to be the images that define us as a nation, as a world, or as a people of faith. And what inspired Darshan to begin his feeding program were images, the photographs that the restaurant sent, sent him after their very first feeding. This is what Darshan said. That was the moment that changed me forever. The smiles on the faces of those children left me touched. And that is when I decided to do something about it. Well, here at First Church, the smiles of children have touched and inspired us and moved us to do something day in and day out. The smiles of <clears throat> children with backpacks, the smiles of children loved and cared for on admission immersion days, the smiles of children read to, taught, and mentored at Frederick School, and the smile of the orphan Telemach in Haiti. Yes, the iconic images of smiling children can change us forever. Let's go back. Take one more look at those iconic images of smiling children.
I ask you this, when a child's tears are dried, who smiles? And when children smile, who smiles? We do. We do. And so, friends, let us be very clear on one final point. When we defend the rights of children, and when we provide for the needs of children, our God will truly smile on us. Amen.